As an industrial water treater, you have to do so much. You have to know about so many things. Chemistry, physics, environmental, electrical, and the list goes on. But did you ever think that list should include cyber protection? Who's got time for that? Well, hackers have plenty of time to find your vulnerabilities and hold your valuable information hostage. 43% of all cyber attacks happen to small businesses. Small businesses are not prepared to defend against cyber attacks. The cyber threat protection experts at Reinert Consulting Group have been helping water treatment companies with strategies to protect their valuable data. Here's the thing about Reinert Consulting Group. They understand what water treatment companies need to defend against these attacks. From training to software, Reiner Consulting Group is your one-stop shop for protecting your valuable data. After all, where would you be without your data? Go to scalinguph2o.com forward slash cyber to find out more. That's scalinguph2o.com forward slash cyber. Don't wait before it's too late. Welcome to Scaling Up, the podcast where we scale up on knowledge so we don't scale up our systems. My name's Trace Blackmore. I get to host this awesome podcast. And Nation, this is like the in-between week. Last week, we had the AWT convention, and next week is Industrial Water Week. So just the anticipation of being in between those two events What is an industrial water treater to do? Well, something that you can start doing is figuring out how you are going to celebrate next week. Something that we're going to do, we do this every year. It's not new, but we change how we do it every year. We are going to bring you a brand new episode each and every day next week to celebrate Industrial Water Week. So Monday, we're talking about pre-treatment. Tuesday, we're talking about boilers. Wednesday is cooling. Thursday is wastewater. And Friday is careers. Each and every day, I'm going to ask you to do something. And I'm going to ask you to share that with everybody by hashtagging IWW21 and hashtag scaling up H2O. That will get us all in the celebration. We're all going to see how we are a community together and we can really celebrate Industrial Water Week together. Well, today, again, pinks and blues, this is where I am answering questions that you have. And here is the question from our listener Hey, Trace, this is James Courtney from CSC Technologies. I was hoping you could speak to the benefits of running dip slides. They're such a simple test. Would you consider them an overrated or underrated tool in the water treater's tool belt? Thanks. Thank you so much for that question. In fact, I was hoping for a question like that. If you recall back on episode 75, I was working in our lab and I saw an abused corrosion coupon. Now, many of you know that us here at Blackmore Enterprises, people in the Association of Water Technologies and Water Treatment Community will send their corrosion coupons to us for us 
to go ahead and clean up and weigh and send pictures back to them with a report. Well, somebody, not naming names, I don't want to embarrass anybody, but somebody sent me a corrosion coupon that just was not loved in any way, shape, or form. And by the time I got it, it just was not able to tell its story because it was not taken care of. It wasn't used properly. It wasn't stored properly. It wasn't shipped properly. You name it, it just was not done the way it was supposed to do. And I told that little guy that I was going to come on Scaling Up H2O and I was going to share his story so we can all respect the corrosion coupon a little bit more. Well, if you haven't heard that, that's episode 75. And just the other day, I saw a dip slide, a bacteria fungus mold dip slide. And it was at a customer location. They weren't getting very well taken care of and they were still getting used. And I was thinking that reminds me a lot of that corrosion coupon that we did the show about. And then we get this question. So we're going to use today's show to talk all about the dip slides. I know we all know so much about dip slides. We're probably all using them in our regular day today. But my hope is through today's show, we're going to learn something that maybe we didn't know or maybe we weren't thinking about. And now we're going to be able to use the dip slide as a more reliable tool. So that's where we're going today. So dip slides are commonly used for the detection of microorganisms in a liquid. Specifically, we use them a lot in industrial water treatment systems. Dip slides that we use are basically a plastic paddle and they are coated with one or two agars. Most of us use the two type agar and that has total aerobic bacteria on one side and then it has yeast and molds on the other. Now, agar is a weird word and it's a jelly-like substance that's used to culture biologicals. It's the media that's actually used. In fact, agar's actually used in some recipes. So I don't know if I'd recommend scraping off what's on your dip slide and putting that into one of your Thanksgiving dishes, but it is a food additive for many recipes in some other cultures. So there you go. Now you know. I know most of us know what a dip slide is, but typically that plastic paddle that I just mentioned, that is put in some sort of protective bottle. We remove that plastic paddle from its protective bottle and we dip that into a water to be sampled. Then we place the paddle back into the protective bottle and we incubate that typically at 90 degrees for 48 hours. We're gonna talk a little bit about that. Now today I'm specifically talking about the total aerobic bacteria and yeast and molds dip slides. There are a ton of dip slides on the market. And one of the great things about dip slides is they're so easy to use. And if you're looking for something specific, you can talk to your supplier and most likely there is a dip slide to test for exactly what you are looking for. Now, dip slides are relatively inexpensive. 
and they're pretty easy to use. And I think that's why they're so popular in the industrial water treatment community. They're so easy, but because they're easy, I think that's where we get a lot of our issues. That's why it's so easy to misuse them. And that's going to be the bulk of our conversation today. I'm going to start out with making sure everybody knows it's important to understand what a dip slide will measure. Now, my good friend and friend of Scaling Up H2O, Jim Lukinich, who was on episode 10 and then sporadically over the years, I've interviewed Jim at pretty much every convention episode that I've had, as well as the different AWT training seminars that I've been at. So I'm sure you've heard Jim Lukinich on this podcast before. But Jim has taught me more about microbiology as it pertains to industrial water treatment than all of my biology college classes combined. And if Jim were here, I can just hear him saying, you have to know what the dip slide measures. And he would probably go into a conversation about sessile and planktonic bacteria. Planktonic is the stuff that's floating around the system where sessile is the stuff that is attached and the stuff that we are really worried about. Now, a healthy biofilm has no reason to extract part of itself and from its healthy, happy home and float around the system. A dip slide will not measure what the most important thing for us to know is, which is that sessile bacteria. This sessile bacteria is what causes reduced heat capacity, reduced water capacity. All of that stuff is because the stuff is stuck. It's globbed on in a certain area. It's healthy. It's happy. It has no reason to leave. However, we do realize that over time, bacteria does slough off and that now becomes planktonic bacteria. The planktonic, the stuff that's traveling around in the water system is the only thing that we can measure with a dip slide. Now we can hedge our bets that if we have a high planktonic count, that it leads us to believe we also have a high sessile count. So it makes sense that if we can measure planktonic, we're essentially measuring what's sloughed off of healthy biofilm. But it's also important for us to realize that those are all assumptions. We really only know what we can test for, and the only thing that we can test for with a dip slide is planktonic bacteria, the stuff that's floating around the system. Now, the agar on the dip slides that most of us use only grow the total aerobic bacteria. And they have a specific agar for that. Now you say, well, hey, if that's total aerobic, that's gonna grow everything. Well, not necessarily because some things just don't like to grow on that agar as it might want to grow someplace else. And it might not want to grow at the temperature that we are incubating it in. So we have a whole host of things that are going on that maybe we haven't considered before. Now you're saying, Trace, I follow the directions exactly 
as the manufacturer says, shouldn't the dip slide work as well as it can because I'm following the directions? And yes, it's going to work as well as it can, but it can only work so well. It's only a little peek into what's going on with the system right there in that moment of time and then incubate it in the conditions of how we're incubating that. So there's a whole host of things that can go wrong. My point is, is that we cannot test for everything and we cannot take every bit of error out of every test that we do. So if we know that, we just have to enter into the situation knowing that we can only do as good as we can do. But the more that we know about what's going on in the system, the better we can interpret that test. Also, when we sample, we're only going to capture on that media, on that agar, what is present in the system at that exact time that we are taking the sample. So for example, did we just feed biocide? Is the bacteria dormant that we're testing? Is it not the right time to test because that's not when most things are active in the system? I don't know the answers to these questions, but these are the questions that we have to ask on each and every time we test because the more we know about the system, the better we're going to be able to interpret those results. Now, dip slides are cheap. They are easy to use, but I hope, as you can hear from this conversation, they are not the end-all, be-all. They're a starting point, which means the more we understand why we're testing, the more we understand the system we're testing in, the better we're going to be able to interpret the results. And it is very likely the results of a particular test, like a dip slide, are going to lead you to another test. And the results of that test might lead you to running another test. It's all about what we originally thought was going on in the system. And then we have to make a decision on do we have enough data to act to confirm what we thought about what was going on in that system. And if we don't, we might need to collect more data. All in all, it's for us being able to do something with all of the tests that we run. So maybe now you're thinking dip slides aren't as easy as you originally thought. Well, I'm hoping that you take that attitude with every test that you run and just think about it. Why does it do what it does? How do I eliminate all the error that I can so I can be more confident in what the test is reporting to me? And all the other things that we discussed about the system, the more you know about that, the better you are going to be able to interpret. Now, after you incubate the dip slides, you're going to get your answer in colony forming units per milliliter. Basically what this is, it's how many dots that we have in a square centimeter. Now dot size doesn't matter. I've had several people come to me and say, oh my gosh, look how big that dot is, which is the colony. Look how big that colony is. That doesn't matter. A dot 
regardless of its size, is a dot, and a dot is a colony, and we're counting how many of those are in a square centimeter. Now, that agar that we mentioned, it has a special dye in it that allows what grows on it to change a particular color. Now, on the bacteria side, typically that's red. And if we didn't have that, it would be so incredibly hard for us to count. So they've really made these dip slides very easy for us to take into the field and for us to get a result. I remember in a biology class I took in high school, we actually made the agar and we put them in little Petri dishes. And then we went around this high school and we took swabs and we swabbed everything that we could think of. I remember we swabbed door handles, toilets, keyboards, drink fountain dispensers. Somebody actually swabbed inside a tuba but then we cultured them. And oh my gosh, if I ever had any misconceptions that I was thinking I was living in a sterile world, that let me know that we are very far from sterile. We've got a lot of things growing in everything around us. Now, the agar that we made did not have that red dye in it. It was a lot more difficult for us to count but it was really a test for us to learn that we have so many things that are growing around us. So with that being said, take a lesson from my high school biology class and realize that when you take your sample, you're not living in a sterile world. You have so many things that are growing on things that we come in contact with, it is very easy for us to contaminate our sample. So we need to make sure that things stay as clean as possible when we're going to get our sample. It's advised that you wash your hands before you start touching your dip slides, and then you don gloves before you touch your dip slide as well. And the only part of the dip slide you should ever touch is the little plastic paddle, the little plastic handle that is on the top. Now, most manufacturers recommend that you take your sample at the exact same place at the exact same time each and every time you sample. And the reason for that is that's for trending. And if you're trying to trend data, that is 100% right. But for learning what's going on in the system, I don't necessarily agree with that. If you have a hypothesis of what you think is going on in the system, the whole point of you running any test is for you to prove or disprove what you think is going on in the system. That might mean that I need to run dip slides at a different time than I normally do. It might mean that I need to run the dip slides in a different location in the system because maybe I'm trying to track down something. Maybe I'm trying to learn more about how the system works. As I said before, with any test that you run, if you don't have a reason to run it, and you're not thinking, how am I proving or disproving my hypothesis? There's probably no reason for you to run that test. 
Now, really, what I'm asking you to do is think harder about why you run the test and really form an opinion about what you think is going on in that system so your test can help confirm or not confirm what you are thinking. You have to be better than your test. So many people, especially newer in the industry, they think they run their test and that's all that they need to do. So whether it's a dip slide, whether it's a nitrite test, whether it's anything, if you don't know why you're running that test, please figure out why you're running that test. And more importantly, what that test is going to allow you to accomplish because now you have more data about that system. Now, when you run a test like a dip slide, it's important that you develop procedures and those procedures are consistent because what you're trying to do is take out all of the possible errors that can go wrong with you running that test. That's with a dip slide, that's with any test that you run. And I've heard people say many a time, it's better to be consistently wrong than be all over the map. So if you know what you're doing, try to be right when you're doing it. Read the directions, make sure you've got your procedures based on those directions. But what you're doing is you're now running the test and you're taking out as much error as possible. Now, if you're using a dip slide after you wash your hands and glove up, what you're going to do is you're going to remove the dip slide from the protective bottle that it's in. You're going to be sure only to touch the handle. And then you're going to make sure that you don't allow that dip slide to touch anything else except the water that it's going to come in contact with. Now, you're going to submerse your dip slide into that sample, and it's really better for you to immerse that dip slide directly into where that sample is coming from. Now, here's what I mean by that. If you're testing a cooling tower, the best way to do it is to take the dip slide out to the cooling tower, immerse the dip slide in the cooling tower, and then put it back into its little protective bottle. Now you might be saying, there's no way I can do that. It's all pipes, I can't get the dip slide in there. Okay, well in that situation, you are gonna have to place the sample in a sample bottle, but think about what you're doing. What was the last thing that was in that sample bottle? Because chances are you're gonna be testing for that as well. So do you use a brand new sample bottle? Do you use one that's marked as sterile? You've got to figure all that out, but the point is you're thinking about it and you're thinking about all the things that can contaminate that sample. And when you think that way, your tests are going to have more meaning. Be smart, use your best judgment, but let's take you back to that cooling tower. So let's say you've got everything off, ready to go, you're washed up, you're gloved up, you're taking the dip slide by the paddle top only, and you're going to now immerse that into the cooling tower. Now I'm only getting the agar parts wet, and I'm typically going to let that sit for about five seconds. Now your procedures might be a little bit different, but whatever they are, make sure you are consistent. Now, after that five seconds, when you take it out of the sample, you're gonna have excess water on that paddle. 
What we do is we tap the top where we're holding fairly vigorously, but three, four, five times. We just want to get that excess water out. And then we're going to put that paddle right back into its protective bottle. Now, here's a fact. Most water treaters do not use an incubator to incubate their dip slide samples. And I think this is an issue. Things like to grow at a particular temperature. If they're not at that particular temperature, they're not going to want to grow. I look at myself. If I'm too hot or if I'm too cold, I don't want to be that active. So why should they? The type of bacteria that we're going after in a cooling tower, it's called mesophile. So that's the fancy biological word. And essentially what that means is they don't like it too hot. They don't like it too cold. A mesophile is the Goldilocks of bacteria. They grow best, again, when it's not too hot, when it's not too cold. Now, I know for a fact that there's a water treater out there listening to me and they're saying, Trace, I incubate all my dip slides in my back pocket, or I incubate them in my car trunk, or I incubate them in my garage, and I've never had a problem. Well, my question is, how do you know? And what's your procedure? Again, it's better to be consistently wrong than it is to be all over the map. But knowing where the bacteria that we're looking for likes to grow, and again, the fancy term is mesophile, and right around 90 degrees is that temperature that it loves, and that's the same temperature of our cooling tower bulk water, if we're not reproducing that temperature, we're not getting the most representative result. And that's what this whole purpose is about. We're trying to get a window open with this test to see what's growing in the system. That's going to allow us to then make a decision on how we're going to do our water treatment system, our program. If we don't have good data, we're not going to make good adjustments. Now, a fun experiment to do, and I urge you to do this, is if you have an incubator, take a few samples from the cooling tower we just mentioned. Go ahead and label them and then put one in the incubator and incubate it exactly as the manufacturer has directed you to. Put another one in your car, put another one in your garage, put another one on your windowsill, maybe another one in your back pocket. How does somebody keep a dip slide in their back pocket for 48 hours? But I know you're out there. I know you're doing it. What you will learn is you will get a different result for every single one of those tests. And it all came at the same time from the same cooling tower. I've done this myself. And I tell you, every single time I've done it, I've gotten different results. And it's all because the stuff likes to grow at a particular temperature. And we have to give it that Goldilocks temperature, not too hot, not too cold, just right. And that's why it's so very important for us to incubate dip slides in an incubator. You know, another mistake I see people do is when they tap off the excess water, they shake it vigorously or they tap it too hard. 
And that can actually create some issues. I've actually seen somebody one time that they shook it so hard, it fell onto the floor and then they picked it up and they put it in the bottle. Folks, that's not a good sample. Just think about what you're doing and you want to make sure that you're getting the excess water off and you're not introducing any other error in there. Something else that I want to discuss is the storage of dip slides. Now, I think the agar is good for up to a year. Now, notice I said up to a year, not an entire year. So check the expiration dates on that. And I know many of us know that expiration dates are probably a lot better out uh, than they actually state, but they want us to reorder. So they put expiration dates on there. And then to keep everything up to code, we have to reorder that stuff. Well, some of the stuff we can take past expiration dates, but agar is not one of them. Those have a very finite window of how viable they are. So check with your manufacturer to see how long that they are good for. And another thing I want to tell you not to do with storage, and I have to admit, I used to do this, and it's refrigerate your dip slides. I used to think that that was a, a nice, cool place. It was out of sunlight. It was making sure things couldn't grow on them. It was kind of out of the way. And I was told by our manufacturer that was the absolute worst thing that we could do with dip slides. Dip slides, the agar has to be stored at room temperature. I think manufacturers typically recommend between 65 to 75. Again, call your manufacturer, call your supplier, ask them what they recommend so you can add those to your procedures. Now, 65 to 75 pretty much means we can't keep them in a hot car. We can't keep them in a hot garage. And we can't keep them on the windowsill. We got to keep them out of sunlight. Now, speaking of heat, how hot was the UPS truck that delivered these dip slides? Yeah, it gives you a lot to think about. Well, your guess is as good as mine, but when you get them, that's the point where you've got to start taking care of them. And the more reliable that your tools are, the better that you are going to be able to use them out in the field. Now, here's the bottom line. Whenever you have a questionable dip slide, heck, whenever you have any questionable test, you shouldn't run it. You should probably use that as an excuse to call the manufacturer, to call the supplier and say, hey, what's going on here? What does this mean? And now you've learned something. My challenge for you is not to have that learning in there. Take that to the rest of your company and say, hey, I just learned that when this happens, that's what this means. And now the entire company knows. So share what you've learned, share what you know. And by the way, if a agar ever looks questionable and it's within that date, within the expiration date, most of the manufacturers will replace those for you for free. So make sure you're utilizing the manufacturers, the suppliers. We've got some great people out there and they can answer a lot of questions. They can do a lot of things for us. We just have to let them know. So please reach out to these great people. Now today, I only refer to dip slides with total aerobic bacteria, yeast, and molds. And I know you're thinking that there are so many other dip slides out there. 
And you can apply pretty much this entire podcast to any one of those dip slides. Just insert what's different than what we talked about today as far as what you're testing for. And you'll probably have some different temperatures. You might have some different holding times. But the cool thing is pretty much if there's something you can test out there, you can found a dip slide for it. So if you didn't know that, Go on some websites. I think you will be amazed at how simple it is to order these dip slides and test for things that you were curious about what were going on in the system. Now, earlier I said, when you test for something, it's very likely you're gonna to have to test for something else. So maybe you're looking for anaerobic bacteria. Well, the dip slide's not gonna help you at all with that. So maybe you now need to look into that. Maybe you need to look at sulfate reducing bacteria. So there's a whole line of tests that just do things like that. So my challenge for you is be comfortable, understand the dip slide that you use day to day, but understand all the other things that are out there. So when you want a deeper dive into the system that you're charged with taking care of, you know all the tools that are available to you. Well, Nation, as I say on each and every Pinks and Blues, these are my favorite episodes to do because these are where you are asking me questions and I'm making sure that I'm giving you information that you can take and you can teach other people, you can talk with your customers about. And when we are delivering better information to each other, to our customers, everybody is able to make better decisions and the water treatment industry just gets better because of that. So thank you again for that question. Scaling Up Nation, many of you were at the Association of Water Technologies convention just last week, and many of you stuck around for Saturday so you could hear what is going on with our supply chain. Simply put, are we going to be able to get products in a few months? Are we going to be able to afford those products in a few months? What's going to happen over the next quarter, and how can we better prepare ourselves to make sure we make the right decisions now so we can stay in business when that comes? Well, unfortunately, that segment was canceled, but don't worry, we are going to have panelists on a special Zoom call that you are invited to, and we are going to be discussing the state of raw materials. On October 14th at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, I will be joined with Mike Standish of Radical Polymers, with Jill Cavano of Scranton Associates, John Zabrida of Zybex, and Gary Garcia of Masters Company. These individuals are going to let us know what they are seeing in the marketplace and let us know what we need to know so we can make the right decisions now. There will also be an opportunity for you to ask them questions so you know what you need to do. To register for this very informative roundtable, go to scalinguph2o.com forward slash update. Again, that date is going to be October 14th at 5 p.m. Eastern Time. Make sure you join so you are in the know.
Something that I've received tremendous comments over, people saying that they can't wait for the next James's challenge because they know they're becoming a better water treater each challenge, each week. So here is another James's challenge. Hello, Scaling Up Nation. The next James's challenge as we grow as an industrial water treatment professional, drop by drop, is... Celebrate Industrial Water Week. You've earned it. The fourth annual Industrial Water Week is October 4th through 8th. Remember, each day has a theme with pretreatment Monday, boiler Tuesday, cooling Wednesday, wastewater Thursday, and careers Friday. This is probably the easiest James's challenge yet, because who doesn't like industrial water treatment, right? So get out there and celebrate what you do, what we do, how we make the world a better place for our neighbors, our families, and even ourselves. Be sure to share your experience on LinkedIn by tagging it, not only with hashtag JC21 and hashtag ScalingUpH2O, but also with hashtag IWW. 21. This is James McDonald, and I look forward to seeing what you share. Nation, next week is Industrial Water Week, a brand new episode each and every day. I can't wait to celebrate with you. But in the meantime, have a great week, and I'll see you on Monday. Nation, the mastermind is wildly successful and the only thing missing is you. Go to scalinguph2o.com forward slash mastermind to see if this is the group that you have been waiting for and the group that can push you to your next level of success.